Welcome again to the Independent Outlook, coming to you from the Independent Institute here in Oakland, California. Uh, we are perched strategically across the bay from San Francisco, giving us, we hope, a unique vantage point on the issues of the day, and we're so glad that everybody who's with us has joined us today. Uh, let me introduce my colleagues who are going to be talking about these and other thrilling subjects today. Uh, first of all, many of you are familiar with uh, Dr. Williamson Evers. Welcome, Bill Evers. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have uh, Bill Evers with us. Uh, he is a senior fellow here at the Independent Institute. Also, he is uh, the director of our Center on Educational Excellence. Uh, Dr. Evers was a longtime fixture at the Hoover Institution and recently has joined us, and we are thrilled to have him. Also, I'm delighted to welcome uh, William Watkins, who is a research fellow of the Independent Institute. Uh, perched on the East Coast uh, and author, however, of some interesting material, including the book you'll see over my, my shoulder back there, Crossroads for Liberty, Recovering the Anti-Federalist Values of America's First Constitution. Thanks for authoring that book with us, Bill Watkins, and for joining us today. Good to see you, Graham. Yeah, it's really great to have you. Um, and of course, you know, when you're not talking with us on the Independent Outlook, you're busily publishing things in the Christian Science Monitor, Forbes, USA Today, et cetera. So I encourage our friends to look at your work both on our own site and elsewhere. So, gentlemen, all three of us endured uh, 90 some minutes last night. Um, you know, my family members kept saying, oh, why are we watching this? They're so ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> and it was interesting, aside from myself, uh, all my Family members at home are all female, and so I was interested in watching their reaction. Uh, and interestingly, my wife, she didn't really, you know, go for either one of them that well. It was supposed to be a knockdown blow, according to some people, for Biden and for women like my wife. But I don't think it had that effect on her. Uh, who do you think had the upper hand on this, uh, Bill Watkins? Well, since it was two against one, you could give Biden a little bit of an edge with Chris Wallace and his corner doing pretty much everything he could to help out. However, the president held his own uh, with the deck stacked against him, maybe give him a little bit of a edge uh, when you look at the odds that were against him. But, you know, overall, it, it was, uh, you know, 51 percent, 49 percent. You could go either way. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a lot changed. Bill Evers, uh, who do you think was the uh, the culprit who's at fault for all that, you know, rollicking talk? I think each one of the three of them could have done things better. Uh, I really think Chris Wallace, who Fox News told us was going to be an invisible moderator. He was going to lead from behind, right? Did not fulfill that at all. And I... Uh, you know, when he was correcting Trump, when he interrupted, but never correcting Biden, when he interrupted, mm -hmm. when the president was making points and he would interrupt him and say, that's our next topic. Uh, when he misstated the Charlottesville statement about fine people on both sides by the president right. and left out the president's explicit denunciation of white supremacists. Uh, it just, you know, he had facts wrong about Ukraine and, and what happened with Hunter Biden there. It was just one egregious 
act after another and not moderating, but instead debating him, which the president pointed out at one point. So, Bill Watkins, do you think that um, uh, President Trump accurately characterized Biden's view? I mean, Bill Evers says that Biden did not accurately characterize Trump. What do you think about the reverse? Did Biden, uh, did, did Trump portray Biden accurately, do you think? You know, Trump takes a lot of liberties, but he is a fighter. And I think a lot of people uh, enjoy that from him for so long. Um, much of the GOP candidates have just sort of taken it from the left and tried to kowtow and fall in line, um, but not Trump. Uh, sure, can he take a few liberties? Absolutely. But I do think he was appropriate in trying to call Biden out on issues and how he dodged issues. Mm -hmm. um, for example, uh, the whole court packing issue that he refused to answer is mm -hmm. uh, very disturbing to me. But, um, you know, on the whole- His reasoning there was so weird. Biden seemed to say, well, if I take a position, then that will be the issue. Well, of course. I mean, <laughs> oh, that's the point. You're running for president. <laughs> and I mean, just crazy things like first saying he's the Democratic Party and then saying, well, there's no way that I could call up the mayor of Portland or the governor of Oregon and suggest to them that they should bring law and order to the streets because I'm not an elected official. Well, you know, you're a politically central figure That's in American right. life. Mm -hmm. And these government officials, the mayor and the governor, are in your party and you're running for president and you're claiming you're going to be an effective leader and you couldn't call them and suggest that they needed to get their house in order. You, you know what I thought was pretty interesting and actually one of the few things I found actually illuminating was when President Trump was pressing Joe Biden, uh, you know, you support the Green New Deal, trillion, how many trillion dollars? I don't remember. 2.1 trillion. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Um, and so uh, in response, uh, former Vice President Biden, he, he actually made it quite clear that he did not support the Green New Deal as advocated by fellow members of his party. And right. that was good because on the one hand, it made it more clear what he does, well, what he doesn't Actually, stand for. it didn't because the way Chris Wallace was leading the debate, he never, he should have said right then, Chris Wallace should have said, okay, so you have the Biden plan. How does it differ from right. the Green well, New Deal? President Trump should have asked that too. Either one, mm -hmm. either one. But I should think there's a lot of heartburn on the left uh, when Joe Biden, who's their current standard bearer, disavowed or seemed to disavow one of their signature. Uh, it wasn't really news. I, I think the, if I had to point to the most egregious thing in the whole debate, it was Chris Wallace pretending that training based on critical race theory is really no different right. from 1980s corporate PR, HR, sorry, human relations training sessions on racial sensitivity. Mm -hmm. That was so wrong and so misleading right. and such an unfair attack on the president. Right, I agree. We, critical race theory is totalitarian, it's racist, it pits race against race, it exacerbates racial tensions, it either ignores or opposes toleration, civil rights, constitutional liberty, it's a horrible thing, and, and the president is right to say that it's mm -hmm. un-American. 
and to get rid of it in the federal government. That was completely right. He's not able to fully articulate why it's as bad. I mean, you, you would do a better job of him, but he's, yeah. he seems to have recognized the main point, which well, is interesting. He got, he got it. He may not be a policy intellectual. We've had some presidents like that. Woodrow They're not Wilson usually very was, good. Woodrow Wilson was a policy. So, so Biden called Trump the worst president in American history. Excuse me, you're not letting your predecessor, Woodrow Wilson, have, uh, exactly. have his day. Right, yeah. He was the worst president. So um, recently, um, Bill, Bill Watkins, you published a piece on our website uh, dealing with some of the uh, racial equity and justice and protest issues uh, stemming out of uh, the Breonna Taylor case and other matters. Before we get to any of those details, how do you think, uh, Bill Watkins, how do you think that President Trump handled those kind of issues? Um, do you think he appealed across the spectrum or did he sound like a, somebody who's going to make it worse? No, he's got good instincts on those issues. For example, what you were just talking about with how the critical race theory, Chris Wallace um, accepts that and has a great problem with it. That just shows how there's been a march through the institutions of higher education, of corporate America. Oh, yes, corporate America, for sure. Even the federal government under a Trump administration, uh, where you have this sort of training going on for federal employees, mm -hmm. and it's looked at uh, uncritically as this is just what we do. It's rather than, you know, what is this teaching? Uh, what lessons are being taught, what divisions mm -hmm. are being sowed in mm -hmm. the workforce. You know, the U.S. Army, uh, you know, I'm a former soldier, mm -hmm. had a great history uh, eventually with integration and blacks and whites. It and led the way institutionally with integration. Right. Exactly. And, and I never recall ever going to one of these crazy classes uh, mm -hmm. to be taught how to deal with black people or Hispanic people. No, it was part of our culture that we worked together, that we respected each mm -hmm. other. We wore mm -hmm. the same uniform. We didn't need cultural Marxism. Rank to... mattered, but skin color didn't. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, again, I think Trump has good instincts to realize while he might not can perfectly articulate uh, why this is a bad idea, his instincts are right, that this is not where we wanna go in the United States. Yeah, but I mean, he has good instincts probably, but last night during that debate, I'm not sure those good instincts got, really got an airing. No, they, there were, you know, again, he was um, interrupted, cut off when he's trying to make a good point. Uh, when he's asked, you know, or do you still beat your wife, i.e., will you disavow <laughs> white supremacy, et cetera, right. Uh, right. which obviously paints him with that brush by Chris Wallace and Joe Biden jumping in. And, you know, he unequivocally said, sure, I will. And he did in the aftermath of Charlottesville. But what mm -hmm. do the headlines say today that Trump refuses to disavow uh, white supremacy? That's a lie. That's not true. And that's why people believe in him and they agree with his fake news characterization, because that was fake news. Mm -hmm. Just a quick pause here uh, before we continue on that point. Uh, I'm sure some people have recently joined us. We are delighted to have you joining us. There are many people through ThinkSpot joining us. We welcome the partnership with ThinkSpot and others around the country and some even overseas. Uh, if you're submitting comments uh, through the ThinkSpot 
uh, venue, I am receiving some of them. And some of our friends are very glad that uh, Phil Evers mentioned critical race theory. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, but just going back now to where we were for a second, um, last night, uh, he did say, President Trump did say, sure. Question was, will you repudiate white supremacy? He says, sure. Now, all the headlines this morning say, President Donald Trump refuses to disavow white supremacy. The transcript clearly shows he said, sure. Yeah. Um, now, some like really, oh, I don't know, arcane interpreter might say, well, yeah, the question was, would you do so? And he said, sure, he would do so. We only meant that eventually he might eventually get around to doing oh, so. But he call. said, sure. He said, that's sure. But then who, who introduced the term Proud Boys into the discussion? Vice President Biden introduced it. He did. He was trying to provoke them. And the president said they, you know, they should stand back. But the point is, uh, you know, the president interrupted because he couldn't. He couldn't get contain his interruptions. He, he couldn't contain. I mean, it, <laughs> it had a, you know, he hoped to rattle Biden. Sometimes when he was talking about Hunter Biden, he did rattle him, and then mm -hmm. he, he stepped did. on his own thing. Know, when exactly. Biden was about to slay himself, mm -hmm. talking about his son, the president counterproductively interrupted. But the interruptions did have some good value to them in that they brought out the expense of the tax burden that Biden would impose, the mm -hmm. extent to which he was you know, supporting at least many aspects of the Green New Deal. But if he was repudiating them, that would hurt him with his base. Mm -hmm. The fact that he was probably going to reinstitute a lockdown, which really should have come from Chris Wallace, but the president had to bring that up. And uh, so, as, as Bill Watkins points out, he came across as a strong personality. He came across as a fighter. And some people don't like that, so they're going to... Shy well, away from the that. Yeah, okay. I'm just getting a comment from one of our viewers right now um, who's, who asked the question, why disavow only white supremacy, which I think is a really good point. Um, yeah. You know, President Trump could have been even more clear than he was on that point, certainly. He said, sure, and I give him credit for that. Um, you know, he could have been clearer. He could have been clear. I mean, for, for our sake and speaking for us, um, white supremacy is bad. It is. Uh, disreputable and unworthy and distorted. Uh, no question about it. He could have also come out against black supremacy. Yeah, and that would have been the logical. And answer. that would have been the, mm -hmm. you know, I'm against black supremacy, yellow supremacy, yeah, the whole racial, white supremacy. Right. All this racialism runs counter to the tradition of constitutional liberty. But I want to come back to one thing that- Philosophy uh, behind it. Yes, indeed. Uh, coming back to one thing Bill ever said a moment ago, Bill, I, I think you didn't give quite the whole statement when you said that, you know, Trump said, sure, but also uh, to the Proud Boys, uh, stand back. He, he said, stand back and stand by. Now, why did he have to say stand by? Uh, Bill Watkins, do you have any idea why in the world would he say stand by? I think he was trying to use Chris Wallace's words. Chris Wallace used the term stand down. And I think yeah. he fumbled a little that's bit. What that's, that's what it was. That's what it was. I never thought of that, Bill Watkins. That's that's a very insightful point. I think that's point. right. Because the, the formulation came from Chris Wallace. 
but it got garbled as it came out. And now the Proud Boys are taking standby to mean that they're still supposed to be on alert to intervene if things don't go the way Trump wants them to. Enough with the Proud Boys. Let's go yeah. on to okay. Amy Coney Barrett or other. Companies. Absolutely. Okay. So <laughs> on that point, last night in that cacophony, uh, one of the things that I did hear them talk about was the uh, nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. And uh, I think basically all that Joe Biden said was that she shouldn't be confirmed because I mean, he didn't go to all the anti-Catholic stuff and other stuff. He just he simply made the comment last night, I think we don't want to confirm Amy Coney Barrett because she didn't think that the ACA, the Obamacare Act, was constitutional. Uh, did he say any more than that, Bill Watkins? That's all I heard. That's about all he could muster last <laughs> night. So, <laughs> okay. You know, you can make uh, their good policy arguments that his side can make that uh, we have an election coming up, popular sovereignty, etc. Uh, he did not go there. He, he simply, uh, mm -hmm. hey, she's not one of our gals, wouldn't uphold uh, Obamacare, so she's bad. We've got a nixer. It's, it's really that the Democrats are trying to campaign on the health issue. Yes. And any way they can bring that in, even in a somewhat obscure way, they want to do it. Yeah. And I mean, the, the legal argument there, I guess, is that she didn't she publish uh, Bill Watkins, didn't she publish a law review article, Amy Coney Barrett, in which she disagreed with the position take by, taken by Chief Justice Roberts, where he he concocted uh, a rationale, I think, to justify the penalty for those who didn't get the the uh, insurance required. Was that, is that the point that she was making? Is that what the Democrats are objecting to, Bill Watkins? Well, first of all, any thinking person has to reject Chief Justice Roberts' opinion. Um, okay. You know, it, it was what it obviously was. It was a politically concocted opinion to try to show the court as neutral to avoid striking down uh, what was, for many, a very popular uh, program and to try to take the court out of politics and secure his legacy as right. uh, mm -hmm. the chief justice that calls balls and strikes and mm -hmm. doesn't intervene in the game, when in actuality he did just the opposite. You have uh, a clear uh, violation of the law, this whole mixing tax and penalty when the clear words of the statute oh, yeah. are there. And the legislative history, when the, the Democrats said, you know, this is not a tax. Over and over again, they, they said that to get the votes. And then Chief Justice Roberts later says, it's a tax so we can keep it. And then Amy Coney Barrett objects. And then they say, oh, she's bad. No, it, again, truly, you have to, no one that takes textualism seriously, as we all should, you know, when you interpret any statute or constitution or whatever, you start with the plain meaning of the text that the legislature wrote, in this case, uh, the Obamacare Act. And when you are describing this as a penalty, a punishment, uh, this is not to garner revenue, this is not taxation. Um, it, the argument ends there. You don't even need to go into legislative history, though you, you right. obviously can. So the fact that she came to that conclusion by looking at the clear text 
Um, that is no shock. Again, any person should come up with that. Uh, Roberts played politics and he should have his hand called on that. That was a terrible opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think maybe really in the background here regarding Amy Coney Barrett, <clears throat> the, the deep sort of visceral objection uh, that the Biden Democrat coalition has to Amy Coney Barrett is that she's a woman replacing a woman, but replacing a woman whose legacy really pointed in very different directions from Amy Coney Barrett's uh, constitutionalist philosophy. So for example, um, I encourage our uh, viewers to take a peek on our website, independent.org. There's this great article uh, by William Watkins here on the legacy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, she lived for the living constitution, as you put it. Uh, give us a little taste of your argument there about the legacy uh, that's being replaced by Amy Coney Barrett and the Democrats want to protect it. What was that legacy about in your view, Bill Watkins? Well, first of all, you know, she's being canonized as this giant of the law, this trendsetter, this Saint Ruth, little, Saint Ruth there. Uh, you know, she can levitate, do all these miracles, uh, this, that, uh. and the other. Um, I mean, that's ridiculous. All Ruth Bader Ginsburg was, was a living constitutionalist. She wanted to overturn the people's decisions made through legislatures and otherwise, and preferred judicial power. Uh, that is a theme going mm -hmm. throughout her work is mm -hmm. judicial power, that we should not have a flexible constitution where the people may change their minds, adopt new approaches, new measures, but rather that we should have these nine platonic guardians, to mm -hmm. paraphrase learned hand, um, mm -hmm. who make the important decisions for us and constitutionalize them where it cannot be changed easy. Uh, that is Ruth Bader Ginsburg's legacy. She has been on the side of judicial power, of the elites holding mm -hmm. power from the beginning, from her most notable decision back in the mid-90s, U.S. versus Virginia, when VMI uh, had an all-male admissions policy that most Virginians supported, rather right. than allowing Virginians to debate, you know, should women uh, be admitted here? Should we change how we educate uh, and seek to bring no. out the whole Maybe they man? should. Maybe they would have had that discussion. But instead of having the discussion, the court said, we're going to decide for you. Virginia is politically meaningless entity on this point. Exactly. And it took away that flexibility. It took away that argument of the healthy society could have for the will of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. And of course, with regard to family policy, it is similar. Um, states have been the a jurisdiction which defined marriage and family law and so forth. Uh, since the beginning, it falls under their plenary powers uh, retained by the 10th Amendment. Um, and yet in the case in 2015, Obergefell versus Hodges, she voted with the majority again. Uh, you said it was an exercise of judicial power. Most people say it was a vindication of, of rights. What, what was your argument about power in that case that she supported, Ginsburg? Well, essentially, the Supreme Court didn't have to do this, but they chose to nationalize marriage law. You know, the traditional definition of marriage is between a man and a woman, as even Anthony Kennedy pointed out during oral argument, had been around for millennia. Uh, but the court decided that it knew better 
than all of human history. And moreover, you had the gay rights movement was making headway in persuading people mm -hmm. uh, to ch change the traditional definition of marriage to include same-sex unions. And they were winning uh, at the ballot box and, and policy arguments. But the court just upended all that. It stopped the debate uh, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden codifies uh, its definition of marriage and again destroys democratic discussion, debate, mm -hmm. and the opportunity for individuals to convince their fellow citizens and for everyone to feel like they've had a fair hearing of their ideas that the debate or the issue wasn't stolen from them as the court did. So uh, we're heading toward the big one now and the next little comment I'm gonna make, Roe v. Wade, uh, Democrats are you know, deathly afraid that Amy Coney Barrett would vote to reinstate, I'm trying to use your reasoning here, Bill Watkins, reinstate the prerogatives or the jurisdiction of states over abortion law, which was preempted by Roe v. Wade. What's fascinating about this discussion is that um, I understand, and tell me if I've got this right, Bill Watkins, that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself published a piece, oh, maybe 20 years ago now, where she criticized Roe v. Wade because she said that in fact, uh, the public opinion was moving in the direction of liberalizing abortion law already. And since public opinion was moving in that direction already, it was a shame she made the argument, Ruth Bader Ginsburg made it, it was a shame uh, that it poisoned the atmosphere and made it much more difficult to sustain the support for abortion rights. That was Ruth Bader Ginsburg's, Ginsburg some 20 years ago. And now we're being told Amy Coney Barrett is a threat to Ruth Bader Ginsburg's legacy because she, in a sense, is probably going to make the same point on that that Amy, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg made, uh, although I may be simplifying a bit. What do you think? You know, it's interesting. A lot of honest progressives from uh, Lawrence Tribe to some of Brennan's clerks uh, have criticized the jurisprudence of Roe v. Wade, that it was contrived. It has no mm -hmm. basis in the Constitution. That shouldn't be something we debate. It's true. It was a made-up precedent. The court crafted a trimester system at the time, essentially made policy yeah. there. Uh, it deserves to be criticized, and Ginsburg was absolutely correct uh, to say what she did. And you're right. It, here's Amy Cody Barrett now uh, pointing out the obvious on a very bad precedent, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden that's uh, some sort of heresy. Yeah, it's pretty stunning. I should give Bill Evers a chance to comment on this Amy Coney Barrett stuff. I'm sure there's more than enough. So I was struck by several things. I mean, obviously, we're getting among the comment commenters, the Pope is being put on the Supreme Court sort of thing that many of us thought had been already settled in American politics, but I guess no debate is ever settled in politics. Uh, I, the most egregious example of this is the attack on her for adopting two Haitian children. Uh, and and uh, some of these critical racial theory oh, it's stunning. people are saying for her to do this is colonialist, it's kidnapping. I mean, this is the most outrageous. Yeah, it's malicious. It's character it's assassination. Malicious. It's true evil to attack her for this. Now, in my own field of education policy, she actually has quite an interesting case that's quite 
germane to debate today, and that is uh, it has to do with the kangaroo courts used on campus mm -hmm. to prosecute people for sexual assault. So there was a case uh, that came before her, and it had to do with uh, how much in the way of procedural rights. Now, these kangaroo courts usually don't have things like cross-examination and so forth. And the question was, should this case proceed forward, this student? Uh, was male student was saying that his rights had not been respected and that he wanted to go to trial and dig into this. She did a very careful examination of the whole situation. She said the case should proceed. Uh, generally, all the other legal figures that the other judges have followed in her wake on this. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a difficult area. In terms of the politics and the clamor of the public about it, but, but the principles are not hard in that area. The principles are not hard, but the the, the guff you receive, the mm -hmm. slings and arrows, are horrible. And she handled it with great aplomb, in my mm -hmm. opinion. And it's very important topic because this kind of lynch, lynch mob atmosphere is not good. We should look at the evidence right. in any case mm -hmm. like this. It's obviously, a charge of rape is a very serious one, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean the rights of defendants just disappear. They don't. Yeah, that's admirable. So I'm yeah. thinking there are some other issues also, Bill Watkins. That you... no, go ahead. So one, the one that I, uh, struck me was so there's a thing called felony dispossession of uh, firearms. So some states have laws that say that if you're a convicted felon, you shouldn't have access to firearms. And she pointed out that, you know, there's all sorts of completely undangerous things that people get convicted of mm -hmm. uh, and, and that are felonies. And so, you know, there's traditional things about keeping Interesting. Weapons away from dangerous people. Well, violent people, especially. Violent people, mm -hmm. exactly. And, you know, she said this is way overbroad. Ah. And yet there are, you know, this is also in a sense under-inclusive because there are, some of these violent people are not caught up by mm -hmm. a felony category. So I thought that was quite reasonable. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she seems... Like, you know, among the kinds of people that a president would consider, she seems like a pretty good case. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's not bad. She's a textualist. She's an originalist. She supports civil liberties. And uh, mm -hmm. I think that's pretty good for our time. So, Bill Watkins, are there some cases that were close decided over the past decade or so that might well come out different if we replace... Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg with Amy Coney Barrett, for example. How about the Heller decision, uh, which, you know, overturned the District of Columbia's restrictions on the right to bear arms? Uh, didn't she say in that case, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that uh, the Second Amendment does not protect the individual right to bear arms? And wouldn't Amy Coney maybe say the opposite? And would that make a difference or maybe not on that case? 
Now, if you look at a number of cases, have been five, four decisions. It's really the rule of five justices uh, mm-hmm. is what we've been dealing with. Uh, we got a market improvement with Anthony Kennedy leaving the bench. We sure did, yeah. But he was um, still on some issues. Uh, he could have some sanity. Uh, Ruth Gator Benz, Ruth. <laughs> was solidly in the liberal camp always mm-hmm. with the living constitution. Uh, you would see uh, a marked change that that one vote could make there for uh, a more traditionalist, originalist interpretation of the constitution. For example, going, going back to abortion where uh, the court, along with Ginsburg, struck down reasonable Texas requirements that uh, doctors have admitting privileges to hospitals if they're performing abortions or that their clinics meet minimum requirements like an ambulatory surgery center. Um, You know, that was held to be an undue burden on Mm -hmm. the discovered right of abortion. Uh, You have um, a Justice Barrett on the court. That decision would have gone the other way, for example. Yeah, but the reason it would go on the other way is not because, oh, she doesn't like abortion, although she may not, but, but I think her legal reason is going to be that it, the court should not arrogate to itself the power to make those determinations. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Uh, I think if ever they did revisit Roe versus Wade, she would be honest about it and strike it as having no constitutional foundation, mm-hmm. and the states could make whatever abortion laws Yeah, then they'd be free to make their own it. laws. Exactly. I think... I think it's fair to say, and the Wall Street Journal said this, and even she in some speeches have, have said this, that the fights are going to be over things like the admitting privileges, like mm-hmm. the ambulatory surgical things. It's going to be what are reasonable restrictions, I think, going forward. I, I think she has a, so I think the best, the best justice is Clarence Thomas. The next best is Gorsuch. And she, she and Kavanaugh are kind of in, they're not the same by any means, but they kind of would fall into being the third or fourth best. And so I think she'd be good. What's going to happen with um, some of these hot button things recently? Um, I don't know if Bill Watkins knows this or Bill Evers. There was the decision that the court made that uh, the executive branch can't ask the citizenship question on the census. Was that a tight decision that Amy Barrett would possibly reverse? You know, what a sad society we are where we have the highest court in the nation and uh, the federal appellate courts policing um, questions like that on a constitutional um, survey of the census every 10 years. We're fighting about that, and it all comes back to politics with one side hoping to increase its numbers by illegal Mm -hmm. immigration um, you know, sure, you, uh, a traditionalist, uh, originalist uh, would give the government greater discretion uh, in, in asking like questions. Mm-hmm. Actually, so, maybe not, because the traditionalist might say, look, this is an enumeration for purposes of representation, and anything going beyond that is irrelevant. But are citizens supposed to be represented? Not our, our non-citizens, excuse me, our non-citizens supposed right. to be represented. But all I'm saying is that anything beyond that, such as what kind of toilet do you have in your house? <laughs> right, right. That's okay. true. That's true. 
So I actually think another thing that's sort of neglected in the debates is, is this question of deference to regulatory agencies. So we've gradually come to say that if a regulatory agency comes up with some regulation, that that should be deferred to instead of people saying, well, what's the statutory and constitutional mm -hmm. basis for this? Mm -hmm. They have to, they have to, can't even penetrate to that level. They have to give deference to what the regulatory agency said. She is very skeptical about that. And That's I think interesting. Yeah. this is Chevron and our, right. mm -hmm. I'm sure Bill Watkins understands this more fully, but I think that that is a very welcome avenue of reform in, in jurisprudence. Do you think, uh, Bill Watkins, that Amy Coney Barrett would weigh in differently on the Chevron standard? You know, Chevron deference, that's a hard issue because on the one hand, you can see the idea of you don't, don't want courts, again, unelected officials making these policy determinations. But on the other hand, the argument is here we have unelected officials and bureaucrats in the agencies uh, who don't have to stand for elections, who essentially are the administrative state, really making all the important decisions in Washington. Exactly. It's not Congress, it's not the president. Um, you have these unelected bureaucrats, this managerial class, as uh, you know, James Burnham noted. Uh, they definitely need restraining. Whether um, the courts are the proper body for that, I don't know. Uh, but right. I think she would uh, certainly scrutinize them a bit more carefully. But the fundamental problem is that we have an administrative state that's out of control, that's mm -hmm. unaccountable, and we all look to the courts to fix that. We have a more fundamental problem. Uh, what about executive orders that exceed, you know, a presidential jurisdiction like DACA? Oh, President Obama decided that he was going to stop enforcing part of federal law with the Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals. Uh, and President Trump decided that he didn't want to have that. Uh, President Obama probably exceeded his authority in the first place, but then the court said, well, now, now that the previous president has exceeded his authority, the current president can't go back to the proper level of jurisdiction. What do you think uh, Amy Barrett's philosophy would point to on that DACA question? If she would have said balderdash on that op uh, opinion, yeah, that you so have an, a, an illegal, essentially executive action where he's not enforcing uh, the immigration laws of the United States, it's mm -hmm. Congress's province to adopt or amend, of course, with submission uh, to the, the executive. The president is supposed to execute the laws. Mm -hmm. Indeed, he is the laws, indeed. So uh, one of our participants uh, uh, who's watching us right now has just sent a little note in uh, asking a question that I think all of us have thought about recently, which is if Amy Coney Barrett gets confirmed, uh, either before the election or, you know, right afterwards. But the Democrats sweep into the majority in the Senate and maybe get the presidency. Um, will the Democrats, in that case, go into the uh, intended threatened court packing process? Now, last night, Joe Biden, as we mentioned before, he wouldn't he wouldn't go there, uh, but he wouldn't deny it either. Uh, so, you know, uh, Will Watkins, do you think that that court packing threat is real? And with that, under those hypothetical outcomes, do you think that we're kind of face a real push for a vastly extended court? 
You know, it is possible, but we have to remember, you know, even FDR at the height of his power, once he started plans to pack the court, he got his hand slapped. He couldn't go there. And I think if FDR could not go there, Joe Biden, you know, yeah, come but on. what's what's that thing about a switch in time saved nine that one justice that was a subsequent development. But okay, the phrase I would use with Joe Biden is, "Come on, man." I don't think Biden. <laughs> come on, man. That's right. <laughs> and here's the thing about Joe Biden. Here's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he must have said that about 15 times. I must say the two of them in that debate echoed each other on made in USA and yeah, true. protection of favored right. industries and right. imposing taxes on Americans that want to buy things from abroad. Mm -hmm. That was not an edifying situation. No, definitely not. A... Both of them wanting to centrally plan the economy when it comes to imports. Yeah, neither of them uh, has a sense for the vitality and independence of free exchange. Uh, That's right. They, they both seem to be- uh, Plenty of room for improvement in both cases. Yeah, man, oh man, you're not kidding. Then there's this other uh, judicial thing, uh, Bill Watkins, that we were talking about before. I have heard a number of uh, Democratic congressional leaders in, uh, in Washington uh, suggest now, I think there's a bill been introduced even to uh, limit the terms of Supreme Court justices to, to 18 years. And so I'm looking here at Article 3 of the Constitution in my little constitutional text here. It says that the judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior. So if that's what the Constitution says, what do the Democrats mean, Bill Watkins, by proposing legislation that would limit their terms to 18 years, whether they were good behavior or not good behavior? Hopefully they really know that they need a constitutional amendment and the introduction of legislation is just to make a point with constituents to try to get um, an easy vote here or there. But it's absolutely, you can't do that. It, whether it's a good idea, bad idea, we can debate that, but you can't do that by mere legislation, though um, who knows with enough power they might try. Yeah, well, I mean, you can, Article 5 lays out how you can change these things if you want to change them. The point is not, you know, that we don't like the idea, but the first point, the pre preliminary point is the Constitution allows for some of these very fundamental things to be changed. You have to go through the process of proposing a constitutional amendment and getting deliberation and getting votes, typically in Congress, and then certainly votes in the states. You can change these things. Uh, the Constitution is amendable, but many of the advocates of judicial power uh, they would like the outcome to be had through what would otherwise require a constitutional amendment process, but they seek to do it through judicial power or some other means because they don't like to have to amend the Constitution. Well, sadly, they're, they're so used to doing what they want, regardless of what the Constitution says, by stretching various clauses, whether it be the Commerce Clause or the Necessary right. and mm -hmm. Proper, that to them, I suppose, it's not that much of a stretch to... Uh, somehow interpret the words you just read as ambiguous. And, uh, right. Uh, they just didn't seem like. very ambiguous to me when, when I checked <laughs> to make <laughs> sure. I was thinking, oh, what was a, When I was young uh, and reading National Review in high school, uh, they had a very clever cartoonist that went back to the days of FDR. But anyway, he had a picture of Supreme Court and they were twisting the Constitution. And the caption was, you can still recognize it, twist it again. 
<laughs> That's pretty good. I thought it was pretty funny. Okay, well, we're coming toward the end of our uh, conversation now, but I want to just switch gears a little bit. Um, obviously, one of the big topics in the uh, debate last night was, in fact, uh, the turmoil on the nation's streets. Um, most recently, in response to the grand jury decision in Louisville, Kentucky, and the Breonna Taylor case, um, it certainly is um, confusing to a lot of ordinary people, which is why I recommend going to our website, independent.org, and looking at this piece that uh, Bill Watkins has recently posted. Um, why do you say, Bill, in this piece uh, that you just published, uh, Bill Watkins, that the rhetoric around this matter is becoming irresponsible? What's your concern there? So uh, the question is, a lot of people characterize her death for shooting as murder. And murder requires uh, intent. And the police who did this were on a drug case. They, you know, maybe we could go into whether they had good cause for a warrant, whether they, you know, should have had a hot... Uh, ambulance there on a raid like this, whether there was reckless shooting from the street, all sorts of other things. But, you know, if it was wrongly done, it was manslaughter, not murder. And they're not, they did not go there to execute her. We're trying to summarize your argument, Bill uh, Watkins. I think, we, have we got the gist of your point about irresponsible rhetoric? No, I think absolutely, absolutely. So look, it was terrible that Breonna Taylor was killed. Mm -hmm. You can make great arguments that this is a high cost of the war on drugs, make arguments for legalization and other things. But to claim that this is an instance of systematic racism, that the police are out there just looking to kill black people, and this is an example mm -hmm. of that, that's balderdash. Right. They were where they were allowed to be. They got a search warrant signed by a magistrate establishing probable cause to search that apartment for drugs. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there were shots exchanged and Miss Taylor was killed. Uh, a terrible, yeah, terrible thing. Terrible. But it is not that it, there was no racism. This is not some systematic problem in the United States. And to continue to use the term murder, as many of our leaders are and groups are, that's just stoking the flames in the street. Which, and that's unnecessary. The conclusion of murder is the prerogative of a jury, not just of an onlooker. No, that's absolutely right. And they could, if the prosecutors couldn't convince the grand jury that there was a murder in this case, when you don't have a defense lawyer interrupting or cross-examining or putting up a case, uh, you can't do that when you can cherry pick with the facts. Uh, your case stinks and it, it would never survive a jury mm -hmm. trial. So it was good the grand jury uh, tossed that out. Now, I think the point here is that you're making is that the horrible outcome uh, in that raid uh, on the home where Breonna Taylor was that night uh, was not plausibly in any way plausibly the result of some kind of systematic pattern, deep-seated uh, racial agenda, anti-black racial agenda. But nevertheless, um, uh, the policy of no-knock warrants can be questioned for other reasons other than it's being systematically racist. Um, and I think that there's been a piece of legislation proposed by Rand Paul 
that would somehow try and change the, the rules regarding no-knock warrants. I think you could support Rand Paul's legislation without buying into the systemic racism argument. And Rand Paul is leaving the White House by their demonstrators outside. Here he has introduced this law. Yes, it's the Justice for Breonna Taylor Act is right. what he called it. It bears her name. Right. Again, we could have disputes over whether he's wise in proposing this, whatever. But here he is. He has this legislation in her name. And the demonstrators are surrounding him, crowding him, poking him and his wife, and saying, say her name. Say her of name. He, say her of, course, name. Of, course, of course he knows her name. He put it on legislation. Exactly, right. You can't even really think of another member of Congress. Nope who's more sympathetic to her plight. It's really be very difficult to name another right, one. Right, right. I mean, if the rules of engagement were what they were, you know, yeah. probably it wasn't. This is just a totem in a totalitarian onslaught right now, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, we're losing. We're losing the potential. We saw in California that police reforms that would have been worth debating did not get addressed because of pressure from the police unions. Yeah, We're right. seeing things about qualified immunity and chokeholds and other things that are very legitimate discussions right. for police reform getting forced off the agenda by the racism claims and the extreme violence of people that are spinning off these protests and are engaging in arson and violence and shooting and That's all those right. other things. Police reform um, is desirable. There are some uh, yeah. patterned uh, uh, policies that are hidden inside of police union contracts that do need to be modified. And they are typically not the result of racism, but boy, they sure could be changed. But if everyone's calling racism all the time, we can never have a rational debate about it. Right. So uh, we are gonna Bring this to a close. Um, looking ahead, two of you, um, uh, Bill Watkins, uh, uh, are the Democrats going to boycott the Amy Coney Barrett hearings, or will they show up and, and grill her? Oh, what a chance to grandstand for them. Can you imagine those buffoons turning down that opportunity mm -hmm. to get up on stage and preen for the camera? No, they're not going to boycott it. They're going to try to get their They've money. They've been talking first. about it. So Bill Evers, uh, uh, do you think that Lisa Murkowski is going to vote yes or no on Amy Coney Barrett when the time comes? And how about uh, Senator Manchin from West Virginia? What do you think, Bill Evers? I think she's a wild card. I think Manchin will vote for her. Uh -huh. uh, I, she is, you know, she's a big government person. She's a. You're talking you know, about Lisa Murkowski, yes, senator from, from Alaska. Alaska, from Alaska, right? She tends to like, you know, crony, cronyism, things where people get special privileges. So, you know, she might ideologically be opposed to her because by her, by Amy Coney Barrett's view of rule of law, maybe some of the things that Murkowski likes, which are not necessarily liberal, they are aspects of both Democrats and Republicans give special treatment to companies and interests and interest groups. And Amy Coney Barrett may want to get rid of some of those if she thinks they're violations of due process or other things. 
And, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I, 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 she's, she's talking about this in terms of I want to wait till after the election. But right, right. She's such an unpredictable person when it comes to something like that because I don't feel, I don't feel she acts on the basis of principle. Right. Yeah. One of our uh, participants just tossed me a note saying that that uh, Senator Manchin of West Virginia will vote yes if his vote isn't the deciding vote. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. I think that's a cynic. What do you think? <laughs> I think it's probably realistic. Uh, Bill Watkins, you think this is going to be all done before the election or, or are they not going to make it? I think they'll use this as a good political issue leading up to the election, um, but sort of hold the card of perhaps a December confirmation. If needed. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. OK, uh, any last thoughts, gentlemen, on these topics or things coming up for our next conversation? Where are we going to go two weeks from now, do you think? Unfortunately, I don't see us going anywhere good. You still have unrest in the streets. You have people using loose language of systematic racism and trying to foment division among our people. Uh, you have the press being unfair uh, in so much of their coverage, and people are tired of it. I don't see anything good happening that's going to uh, quiet things down. It will be a uh, very difficult fall for us. Okay. Any foreseeables, Bill Evers? Well, I foresee that four years from now, the Republican candidate will not accept a debate panel where Chris Wallace is the moderator. <laughs> I think that's probably true. Okay. Here's one thing I'm going to like, maybe this is too hopeful, but I almost think, based you know, on Bill Watkins's view that there will be meaningful hearings, I almost think that Amy Coney Barrett may surprise everybody in the sense of comedy amiability, um, willingness to talk. She may... Amiability, that could be a very <laughs> good go. joke. We, we may find that that experience with Amy Coney Barrett, although the Democrats aren't going to vote for her probably, you know, she may introduce into the atmosphere in Washington a little bit of leavening that could be very much to the good. I certainly it's hope so. It's clear that she's one of the nicest people ever she, from all Nicest all and smartest, you know? Yes. Truly and brilliant. Generous to her husband, generous to her children, both natural and adopted. I mean, what a woman. Let's 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 let her be an aspiration and uh, wish her the best. Okay. Agreed. With that said, thank you, uh, Bill Evers. Thank you, Bill Watkins. Hey, it was great to be here. Thank you, Graham. Have fun. Thank you, Graham. It's wonderful to have these conversations. Thank you to our friends at ThinkSpot. Uh, and all the others who have joined us for this conversation today who, are may, who may see our recording in the near future, uh, we invite you to pay attention to your inboxes and our announcements at independent.org for the next episode of the Independent Outlook, which should be in a couple of weeks. Take care, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.